<laughs> I remember when we were talking about the series and we were kind of planning out the creative elements of it, um, an idea got tossed out. I love, I love brainstorm sessions and I love uh, being part of the, the idea process and idea, and I get, idea got tossed out for that series that uh, we would put an, an, a big hamster wheel on the stage and it would have to be really big because Steve's tall and, and we'd have this big hamster wheel and then the, whoever's preaching would preach from inside it. <laughs> I'm like, guys, you got me scheduled to preach the Sunday after Thanksgiving. That's not going to happen. I'm going to make it like two and a half minutes and then, then I'm going to fall over and die. So uh, that idea didn't go very far. Thank goodness. I'm thankful for that today. Um, I hope, uh, I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Um, I, I did. I, I, I usually do. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Um, I, I love that day. It's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm such a, a miser about like just hold on to your Christmas stuff until after my favorite holiday and then uh, Christmas can, can come all at once. But uh, Thanksgiving's my favorite. I, I get to spend the day with my family uh, watching our favorite football team from Detroit break our hearts again and again, year after year. And, uh, and then we get to eat our feelings afterwards. And, um, and then we fall asleep while ignoring the Cowboys. So I, there's some vindication there. And then the next day I wake up early uh, on Friday morning and I go buy a bunch of stuff that nobody needs because it's on sale. So um, I, I'm not sure like what, what's greater than that for, for a holiday, right? Um, but Thanksgiving doesn't just happen. Like it's not just like, oh, you wake up and it's Thanksgiving and uh, later on in the day just there's a meal just appears on the table. There's a lot of planning. Uh, there's a lot of preparation uh, that, that, that happens beforehand and on the day of Thanksgiving to make sure that all the food gets cooked properly so no one gets sick and to make sure everything uh, is done cooking at, at relatively the same time so everything's warm when it gets to the table. And, uh, so this year, the, the turkey was my job. Um, we had uh, Thanksgiving at my house and I, I cooked it in my smoker all day long. Uh, smoked turkey is, is excellent. I, I, I love that. And, and so I bought it uh, like three weeks ago and I kept it in the freezer until last Saturday uh, until I, it seemed ridiculous to me that I had to move it like almost a week ahead of time, but moved it to the refrigerator so it could thaw out. Um, and uh, the Wednesday night, I moved it to a big pot uh, with, uh, with uh, water and salt and some other things so it can brine overnight. And then I set my alarm for 5.30 a.m. Uh, and I got up on Thanksgiving morning uh, and put the turkey in the smoker. And, uh, and, and I want people to, to like the food I make. I don't cook a lot. Uh, mainly, I just cook meat. That's kind of my responsibility. Um, but I, like, I want people to like the food I make. So I'm always kind of looking for new tricks uh, and like different things that I could do. Like, oh, I'll try this spice or this thing to, uh, to make it taste a little better. And so this year, I stumbled onto a Thanksgiving cookbook uh, that was written by a class of kindergarten students. And I really liked some of their recipe ideas. I thought a couple of them were worth sharing with you this morning, you know, in the, in the spirit of Thanksgiving. And so I'm just going to share, share a few of uh, my favorite ones. They're all about turkey because that's all I know how to make when it comes to Thanksgiving. Uh, the first one says, uh, buy the turkey. So that's a good first step. Uh, and take the paper off. I'm not sure like, where they're buying their turkey wrapped in paper, but okay. Then, uh, then put it in the refrigerator, but then take it back out. Like, I'm, I'm not sure how long, but cool. Uh, and cut it with a knife and make sure all the wires are out, and take out the neck and the heart. Fair. Then put it in a big pan and cook it for a half hour at 80 degrees. And then it says, enjoy. <laughs> like, enjoy your salmonella, right? The next one is, uh, get a turkey and cut all the bones out, <laughs> okay? Then uh, you put it in a big pan, uh, and, and you put it in the oven for 10 hours at 600 degrees. And then you put it on a plate. <laughs> like, okay. 
<laughs> the last one. First, first, you have to shoot a turkey. <laughs> okay, fair, like back the step even before going to the store. Then you cut it. <laughs> and then you put it in the oven and cook it for 10 minutes at 20 degrees. <laughs> and then you eat it, it says. <laughs> so good luck eating it. There is some solid advice there, like, you know, like, take the neck out or, like, put it in the oven. I guess those are good pieces of advice, but not a great understanding of time or temperature from these, from these kindergarten students. Um, but I, I look forward to this holiday. I look forward to turkey. Um, the whole Thanksgiving meal, really, I, I, I like all of it. Uh, we joke about how my, my little brother only eats tan foods, and Thanksgiving is perfect for him. There's so many tan foods on the table, right? And, uh, and so I look forward to that meal uh, all year long, uh, but really it intensifies from Halloween all the way till like the leftovers are all gone. I, I just, I enjoy th- the Thanksgiving meal so much. Um, but no matter how much I eat at Thanksgiving, and I eat a lot, there will come a point when I get hungry again. Now it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but there will come a point when I get hungry again. And that's how desire works. We've been talking about desire uh, for the last month or so, a little over a month, and that's how desire works. It's relentless. And no matter how much of it you get, there comes a point where you want more, where you need more. It's never enough. It doesn't satisfy. And chasing after our desires always leaves us wanting more. Um, we, there, there, there's always that next thing that we need or, or that next step that, that we need to take, uh, and it just never ends. And we've been working through this series called Chasing Carrots. We've been talking about how our desires can take over our lives if we let them. Uh, And and we looked at, all the way back at the beginning, we looked at how Satan twists our desires and uses our own desires to move us away from God. Um, And and we went over the desire for more and better experiences in life, um, that we're, we're always, you know, we live for the weekend, we're chasing after the next experience, the next great vacation or the next uh, great hobby that I'm going to invest in and spend my time. Um, and, and we talked about how chasing the next experience is relentless. It never ends unless we learn how to be content with where we are in life. And then we dove into the world of social media, which is a scary world, and, uh, and the growing desire to be famous in our culture. Uh, more and more uh, young people, but not just young people, more and more people are aspiring to be YouTube influencers and to get their name out there and to get their image out there. Um, and, and chasing fame never ends and it never satisfies us unless uh, we learn how to be satisfied with being known by God. We talked about how being known by God needs to become enough uh, rather than being known widely by, by people in our culture. Um, and, and then uh, we talked about our desire for more money and more stuff. Uh, but that's a race without a finish line. Uh, we just keep going and going after that stuff until we understand that living a rich life doesn't necessarily mean more money and more stuff, that we can live a rich, rich life uh, without millions and millions of dollars and all sorts of things. Um, and then last week we studied our, our desperate need for approval from other people, uh, that, that we, just, we, we desperately want to be liked and noticed and, and, and we want to gain their approval from others and we can get sucked into chasing after that at all costs, that we make decisions and we compromise things just so other people will approve of us and like us. And we discovered that the only place, the only way we find peace uh, is when we learn to love God's approval more than other people's praise, that uh, we need to seek God's approval rather than uh, care what everyone else thinks of us. And so today, uh, all that to arrive here, we're ending the whole series with a look at the key to the whole thing, the key to to contentment, uh, to the key to to stopping, climbing out of the hamster wheel uh, of our own desires. Um, And the key is thanksgiving. 
Um, not the holiday, not, not like eating a whole bunch of turkey as much as I like it, but the key is being thankful. Because uh, being thankful is the best weapon that we have in the battle against our own desires for more and more and better and better. Colossians 3 tells us to set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then it skips down into verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And so I shared the first two verses of that chapter and then jumped all the way to verse 15. In between, verses 3 through 14, Paul gives two lists of desires and behaviors that we should be actively putting to death. Don't do these things. Don't, you know, go away from this. And then he gives another list of desires and behaviors that we should cultivate in their place. Uh, put these to death, cultivate these things. And it, would, it seems odd that Paul, uh, Paul's thought would track to the, the idea of being thankful in that context, but that's really the key. The way we stop chasing the desires, the way we can put to death these harmful desires and cultivate these good desires that God wants from us, the key to that is found in the idea of thanksgiving and giving thanks to God. And so because that's true, we're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning uh, walking through the book of Psalms. Not all of them, there's so many. Uh, We're gonna look at three different Psalms, three different songs that are all focused on giving thanks to God, on, on being thankful. Um, And so you can turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to start in 136 if you want to turn there and get ready. Uh, The book of Psalms is a collection of 150 poems. Uh, Most of them were written as songs and they were set to music and they were used in corporate worship. Uh, And these poems in the book of Psalms cover all sorts of events and emotions, um, but mainly they fall into three categories. Uh, Mainly when you you read the Psalms, they, they, they fall into three different categories. There's Psalms of Praise. Uh, that focus exclusively on God, just praising God, call to worship, worship God for who he is. Uh, There's psalms of lament that deal with the realities of suffering and sin and appeal to God to come and rescue me from my circumstances and my situation. And then there are psalms of thanksgiving. And the psalms of thanksgiving are somewhere in between uh, praise and lament. Uh, They kind of balance both of those both of those ideas uh, in one. They, they usually acknowledge sin and suffering or oppression or some threat in the world, uh, this reality that the world is a broken place and it's not the way it was meant to be because of sin. Um, but then they, they also uh, then focus on praising God. And they do that because unlike laments, in a Thanksgiving psalm, the suffering is in the past. In a lament, I'm going through something hard right now and I'm begging God to help me. But in a Thanksgiving psalm, I'm looking back. I'm looking back on things that have happened in my life, on where I've been, on what I've I've come through. I'm looking back on the past, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And I'm expressing confidence in God's power and God's grace for my future moving forward. And so the gratitude that's expressed in these psalms of thanksgiving is directed to God for his character, uh, for who he is. Uh, We thank him for who he is. And then also for his sovereignty, for what he has done and what he's able to do. Um, And so you'll notice that in in all of these psalms, uh, both of those elements are present. um, That that we're thanking God for for who he is, uh, but also what he has done and what he's able to do. And so we're going to start in Psalm 136. 
And uh, I, I, had to, I had to thank the, uh, the uh, I had to thank Matt for putting in the slides this week because um, these are longer than usual scriptures. There's like a thousand slides. So um, this, it's gonna be up on the screen behind me. And, uh, and I think for this one, um, this one's a little bit different than the other ones. This one is, is written uh, kind of highly structured and it's kind of written as a responsive reading. Um, and so I think just f- for this, I think it's, it's worthwhile uh, to, to read it that way. So um, I'll read the, be- the, the beginning part in each verse, but then uh, the part that's, that's in my Bible, it's in italics, but it's the, the response is his love endures forever. So I'm gonna have you guys read that part and respond to that part and we'll read through it kind of together. So Psalm 136, here we go. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them, with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings, and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate. And freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Like most good poetry, this psalm has a structure. It opens and it closes with this call to thank God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. God of gods, Lord of lords, give thanks to the God of heaven. And then in between, it has 22 lines. I don't know if you were counting. It has 22 lines, and that's the same number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, some of the Psalms are written as acrostic poems, where the, the, the first line starts with each of the next letters, A, B, C, and on and on. This one's not written that way, but it is written to express the idea that there are plenty of reasons to be thankful to God. One for each letter of the alphabet. From A to Z, there's, there's reasons. Uh, all, you know, all the reasons uh, are there to be thankful to God. And this particular poem was used in a corporate worship setting. I imagine in a similar way uh, to, to what we just did, the way we just read it, where the leader would read the line describing God and the people would respond with, his love endures forever. And this psalm uh, works together with the one that comes before it, with with Psalm 135. They're actually pretty similar. Uh, If you read them side by side, um, in a lot of ways they're similar, but there is one big difference. 
Psalm 135 starts with a different action. Uh, Psalm 136 says, give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 135, uh, the main action in that psalm is hallelujah, where we get hallelujah from. It's praise the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. But the main action in 136 uh, is from the word hodu, which means give thanks. And so in Psalm 135, remembering all the ways that God demonstrated his power throughout history leads us to praise. It it, it brings us into into worship. But here in 136, doing the same thing, remembering all the things God has done in our history leads us into giving thanks. And and it's not just feeling thankful, because this word is deeper than that. This word isn't just feel thankful, feel grateful, this this, this sense of gratitude in your heart for what God has done to you. This word literally means to confess or proclaim. It means confess your thanks, proclaim your thanks to the Lord for he is good. It's calling us not just to generally feel thankful, but to, to publicly confess our gratitude to the Lord for the things that he's done and for, for the way that he is. And that's, that's what the psalm does. It's exactly what the psalm does. It, it proclaims the truth about who God is. It says he is, he is good. He's God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the God of heaven um, and, and what he's like. His love endures forever. And, and it alternates between who God is and what God has done in every single line. So that by the end of the poem, it all kind of blends into one. God's character and God's actions can't really be separated. The things that he does flow out of who he is, uh, and they combine to move us to give thanks. And so this, this psalm teaches that giving thanks means confessing what you know is true about God and telling others how he's made a difference in your life. Giving thanks is not keeping it to yourself. It's not just this general thankful feeling on the inside. Giving thanks is proclaiming our thanks, proclaiming our gratitude in a public way to the Lord. And so for this next one, we're going to flip back a little bit. We're going to kind of work our way backwards. Um, we're going to flip back to, to Psalm 107. And, and while Psalm 136 is this very balanced, structured poem highlighting both who God is and what God has done as reasons to give thanks, this poem uh, in, in Psalm 107 focuses mostly on being thankful to God for the things he's done. And so I'm just going to read this one. This one's kind of long. Um, and you can follow on the screen. You can follow on the Bible uh, in, in the, the basket in front of you there. Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I feel like we've heard that somewhere before. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress." He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them, be, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of their darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. 
for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in ships. There were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. Uh, For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He He stifled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs and he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased. He did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. But uh, he who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths." Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So this sounds familiar at the start. This call to give thanks based on who God is, he's good, and his love endures forever. But then the rest of the psalm tells the story of what God has done for his people. And I don't know if you noticed, I don't know if you picked up on it, the NIV does a good job separating it with spaces that there are four sections to this story. (coughs) Sorry about that. Followed by a section with like a hymn of praise to God at the end. And each of these sections describes some kind of trouble and then a cry to God for help and God's intervention to save his people and then an invitation to give thanks to God in response. And the first and the last scenes are about rescue from chaos on the outside, from things that happen that are totally outside of our control. A group of people lost wandering in the wilderness. Uh, A group of people caught in a destructive storm at sea. And the middle scenes, the second and third scenes, are about rescue from sin on the inside, situations that we put ourselves in. Uh, Right? There's uh, uh, people suffering in prison, which doesn't necessarily seem like, oh, you did that to yourself, but then it goes out and specifies that they're suffering because uh, they rebelled against God's commands. And then it says people who are foolish enough uh, and turned away from God's ways. And so all four scenes have these two lines in common. I don't know if you heard these things repeated throughout the psalm, these two lines. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. That's common in all four different scenes. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. And then also, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. 
in all of these four separate circumstances, these common ideas of, of in their distress, they cried out to God, and God responded. And then our response is, is to give thanks. The God described in this psalm is a God who responds to the cries of his people. And throughout the Bible, people cry out to God when they're unable to overcome the forces that threaten them, whether it's coming from outside or coming from sinfulness inside, and God responds with deliverance and redemption. And so this psalm teaches that God's saving response shouldn't be the last word that we should respond to, that we cry out and then God responds, but then we should respond in gratitude. It reminds me of the story of the 10 lepers in the New Testament who come to Jesus for, for healing, recall, and, uh, and they cry out to him to have mercy. And just like God in this psalm, Jesus responds and he saves them from their disease. He gives them uh, instructions and they're healed, but only one of them comes back to Jesus to express his gratitude. And the psalm and and that one Samaritan show that expressing thanks is the right way to respond to what God has done in our lives. We cry out, God responds, we express our thanks to God. So I want to look at one more psalm. One more before we wrap this up. Let's preacher talk for 10 more minutes. We're going to look at Psalm 103, just a few back from 107. Um, And this psalm is the other side of the coin from the last one. 107 was mainly concerned about being thankful to God for the things that he's done. Um, This psalm is mostly focused on being thankful to God for who he is, uh, for the way that he is, for his character. And so uh, 103, uh, David wrote this, and David writes, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns, your, God, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone uh, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all the heavenly hosts, you his his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in, in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. 
And so this psalm starts with a new action word. We talked about a psalm that starts with the idea of, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah. A psalm that starts with give thanks. Um, the NIV translates this action word, praise the Lord, the same way, but this is a different word. Uh, this isn't the word hallelujah. Um, this is a word that's usually translated bless the Lord. And I know this is, there, it's, just, it's just nuanced, but it's nuanced. It, it, these are important nuances. Bless the Lord literally means praise God with gratitude. To be drawn into worship by our, our feeling of gratitude for, for who he is, uh, praise the Lord. And usually it's a command that's addressed to the whole community uh, as a call to worship. Um, but here in this psalm, it's addressed as a reminder to my soul. David says, praise the Lord, O my soul. And I think that's, that's important because it's so easy to forget to express our gratitude to God. It's just like the nine lepers who, who didn't come back to Jesus. Sometimes we need a, a reminder. And so David writes on, uh, laying out reason after reason why God is worthy of our gratitude. And instead of retelling the historical events that show what God has done, David celebrates the things that show what God is like. He's the one who forgives sins and heals diseases. He redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion. He satisfies our desires. He brings justice. This psalm teaches that God is forgiving and loving and compassionate and generous and relational and just, and we should thank him regularly just for being the way that he is. So the psalms teach us a lot about gratitude and giving thanks. They teach us that we should do it. I mean, that's, that's the first and, and, and maybe the main thing, that we should do it. Don't forget to, to give thanks. We should be thankful and express our gratitude often, not just in private, but in public. Um, our gratitude is one of the things that should move us to worship God. The Psalms teach us to, to be aware of what God is doing and, and give credit where credit is due. Uh, forget not all his benefits. They teach us to be honest and specific. Uh, instead of just being generally thankful, the Psalms list specific reasons for gratitude. Specific things that God has done in my life. Specific things that God is like that, that lead me to express thanks. And they teach us to be consistent in giving thanks. Making it a, a regular part of our worship. Even to the point of reminding ourselves, don't forget. You know, praise the Lord, all my soul. Don't forget to give thanks. And this week, especially, I was kind of thinking about this because at Thanksgiving, most families have some version of, of a tradition where they go around the table uh, and they have everyone tell something that they're thankful for. Um, and then like someone says yours and then you're like racking your brain because like, uh, there's a, some unwritten rule that you can't have the same one. And so like you're trying to think like, oh, I got to think of something different now. They said mine. And, like, and it never fails, right? That like the four people in a row, but like, every time you think of something new, like then the next person says that. It's like, oh no, I can't think of anything, right? And you go around, and, and I don't know, this year you might say family. Um, some of you are here with your family today, and, and you got to spend the week with your parents or your siblings or your children or your grandchildren, and uh, you're grateful to be uh, with family. Or uh, you might say uh, what you, that you're thankful for good health. Uh, some of you this year have gone through, um, honestly, some scary medical issues, and um, you're finally starting to feel like yourself again, and so you're thankful for your health. Or uh, maybe you're thankful for a, a cool experience you had this year or a, a vacation you have coming up. Um, maybe you're thankful for a, a new relationship that's just starting or, uh, or maybe a, an old relationship that, uh, that, that's healing or that's, uh, that's being restored. Um, and some of you are thankful for a hard time in your life that finally feels like it's starting to come to an end and you're able to turn the page to something new. It's, honestly, if we, it doesn't take us long to think up things to be thankful for. 
Being thankful for things isn't usually our problem. We remember to be thankful for things, but we forget to be thankful to someone. Our Thanksgiving has plenty of subjects, but no objects, right? Thankfulness has become this abstract idea in our culture, this generic expression of our happiness about something. Because that's what Thanksgiving is if, if it doesn't have an object, if it doesn't have someone to be thankful to, it's just me expressing my happiness, isn't it? Me saying I'm thankful for family, all I'm saying is I'm happy that I got to see my family. Or I'm thankful for my health, I, I'm happy that I'm healthy. I, I, you know, my, my new boyfriend makes me happy. That's not a personal one, but. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with feeling happy, right, about things or ex- even nothing wrong with expressing our happiness to other people, but feeling happy isn't enough to, to get us off the hamster wheel of, of chasing our desires. Feeling happy isn't enough to break this relentless pursuit of, of desire. In fact, most of the time, feeling happy is, the, is what happens. You know, it's, it's the feeling that we get. Uh, it's the thing that fuels the, the, the engine of our desire to keep going. We love that happy feeling that we get. And so we, we want more and more, and we want to feel that way again. And so just saying, I'm happy for this or I'm happy for that, it's not, it's not strong enough. It's not good enough. If you want to break the endless pursuit of desire in your life, you need something stronger than I feel happy. You need thanksgiving with an object. You need not just to be thankful for things. You need to be thankful to someone. And in order to be, to be truly grateful and not just happy, you have to recognize that the thing that makes you happy has a source. It comes from somewhere. And more accurately, someone. Right? True thanksgiving has an object. It has a person who deserves to be thanked. And the Psalms are clear about the object of our thanksgiving. It's God. God deserves our gratitude for who he is and for what he's done. And when thanksgiving doesn't have an object, it's just a happy feeling. When it has another person as its object, it's it's good, it's not wrong. It's a sincere way to acknowledge how someone else has loved me or served me. It's important to thank other people. But when thanksgiving has God as its object, it's a powerful act of worship. And it has the power to break the endless cycle of chasing after our desires. So this holiday season, don't stop at being thankful about the good things in your life. Be thankful to the God who is good, whose love endures forever. Be thankful to him for the way he is for the way he forgives, the way he heals, the way he provides, the way he rescues and saves and blesses and satisfies. Be thankful to him for the things he's done, his mighty works in creation, his victory over the powers in the world that oppress people, his deliverance of people time and time again, both from outside sources and from inside sinfulness. And don't forget to express your thankfulness to God. Feeling and expressing gratitude to God for who he is and for what he's done is the only way to climb off the hamster wheel and stop chasing the carrots, the relentless desires for more and more and better and better. Feel and express gratitude to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You know, we say that in our prayers a lot. We, 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 we say, thank you, God, thank you, God, for, and then a lot of the things we, we thank you for uh, are, are just things that come to mind, random things that maybe make us happy, but God, we want to thank you today for who you are. We want to thank you for, for who you are in the world, the way you've worked throughout history, 
for who you are in our lives, for who you've revealed yourself to be to each of us. Thank you for being who you are, for being good, forgiving, and healing. And we want to thank you, God, for the things you've done, the things you've done throughout the history of your people, yes, but, but even more personally, the things you've done in, in our lives. Thank you for coming through for us time and time again. Father, we want to give you the credit. We want to give you the glory. We want to give you the praise. We want to give you our thanks. And that's in Jesus' name. Amen.